Well, happy Labor Day weekend to you. I hope you get a chance this weekend to catch your breath and rest up a little. It's funny how when we turn the page on the calendar and September arrives, we feel the stress levels kind of go up a little bit. So uh, I hope you have a fantastic fall season and we'd love to have you start the September adventure with us in person next week. Um, we're inviting as many people as possible to come back for an in-person worship experience. Uh, we're calling it a um, beaver tailgate party. And uh, we're starting a new series called Decisions, Decisions, and you'll have a decision to make at the end of the gathering, whether you want it sweet or salty. So uh, pack a lawn chair, come on out and join us for the um, beaver tailgate party. And if you haven't noticed, we're going to have some beaver tails for everyone. So we'd love to have you come and be a part of our uh, in-person worship gathering. That's next Sunday, if you're local, at 10.30 a.m. here at King Street Community Church. So today we're concluding our series of scripture talks that we've been working through during the summer months called Flawed Yet Faithful. Um, as we've explored some of the Older Testament biblical characters from Hebrews chapter 11. And there's been a passage to ponder that we've worked through and it's taken from verses 39 and 40 of Hebrews chapter 11. It goes like this. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. And so the writer of Hebrews has been writing about all of these um, men and women of faith who have lived well, not perfectly, but well, uh, and we're invited to emulate them in some way or to imitate their faith. And uh, again, I love the way scripture records the stories of men and women of God. They are not uh, dramatized in such a way as to strip them of their humanity. They were flawed, as we've been talking about, and yet there was a measure of faithfulness about their life. They were full of faith. And uh, you and I are also invited to um, follow them on this journey and adventure of putting our saving faith, our confidence and loyal allegiance um, on Jesus, and then orient our life around him. And so today we're going to talk about David. And uh, there's not much said about him in Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, the author writes these words in verse 32. He says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. And so David is a, um, a leading figure in the Older Testament redemptive story of God. In fact, he became the second king of Israel and everyone who read um, Hebrews chapter 11, as we know it today, would have understood that David was a poet, he was a musician, uh, a shepherd who became the second king of Israel, and he was not without his flaws either. And uh, he is well known for a uh, huge win uh, when he took on the giant of the Philistines, who was just under 10 feet tall, and won a huge victory for the people of Israel. And he's also well known for a um, sinful misstep where he committed adultery and conspired to murder Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And uh, those stories are found in the pages of scripture um, so that we can learn from them. And so we're gonna talk about winning over giants and facing our failures today as we consider the life of David, who was the shepherd king of Israel. And so our text will be taken from 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 32 to 39. 
and then again, verses 45 to 47. Then we'll wrap up with a section of um, Psalm 32. But before we do that, just want to give a quick summary of the, uh, the backstory that leads to this uh, text that we'll look at uh, this morning, uh, found in verses 4 to 11 in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Philistine, Goliath, comes out to uh, intimidate the people of Israel. And as I mentioned earlier, he's just under 10 feet tall, a massive human person. And um, so as we consider the giants in our own lives, uh, we need to understand that just like Goliath was real, um, the giants we face are also real. And uh, we can face them in any season of life. In fact, as we talk about the giants in our lives today, we're going to personify them, so to speak. And we're going we're gonna to think about them maybe in, in some sort of metaphorical way where they can show up in all sorts of different um, expressions. And so giants are real. They threaten, oppose, and try to intimidate us. And uh, when they are successful, we shrink back in fear. When we win over them, uh, we step up and take on the challenges that are presented that are the real giants in our lives. And these giants are persistent and they don't give up easily, just like Goliath didn't give up easily. And he was very persistent in taunting the people of Israel. Um, we love to cheer for underdogs. Um, I, I remember, I'm showing my age a little bit, but I'm a hockey fan and I watched the 1984 Winter Olympics in Lake Placid. And I was just a 15 year old boy. And uh, it was called the Miracle on Ice, where these uh, no-name American hockey players took on the elite Soviet Union, uh, the Russian uh, team, and they won. And uh, it was a, a wonderful, wonderful experience for all of our American neighbors and uh, for everyone who was cheering for the underdog. Um, we like to cheer for the underdog, but we don't like to be the underdog. Uh, there is a dramatic difference between those two ideas. Uh, when we're the underdog, we sometimes experience fear, intimidation, panic, anxiety, and sometimes it can be so intense that we just want to cut and run. We just want to run away. And uh, in verses 11 and 24 of 1 Samuel 17, this is how the writer describes how the Israelites were experiencing the giant of their day. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. That's verse 11. Then verse 24. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, the giant, they began to run away in fright. And so uh, when we confront the giants or the giants of life confront us, sometimes we can shrink back in fear and intimidation. So um, winning over giants, first of all, what is a giant? A giant is anything that opposes, intimidates, causes fear, or gets in the way of our joy or our forward progress in life and in faith. It can be unemployment, sickness, abandonment, betrayal, mental health challenges, besetting sins, or an addiction. It can be something that just seems larger than life, larger than us, and it can be incredibly intimidating and challenging. So it's not necessarily a 10-foot Philistine uh, giant, um, but it represents a challenge or a difficulty and something that calls us to do a gut check. So I've got five thoughts for you this morning as we move through this teaching, and uh, we're going to consider how we can win over the giants in our own life as we look at the life of David as he interacted with the Philistine. So winning over giants, number one, requires courage and strong desire. Um, healthy people will experience fear. Fear is an instinct, a human instinct, when we perceive a threat on the horizon. And um, when we view uh, danger or threatening circumstances, it's very human for our body, our physiology to respond in a way where our heart, um, our heart rate increases, 
Um, we begin to sweat, perspire. We begin to have adrenaline flow through our body. We want to escape anything that would threaten our safety or our well-being. And uh, recently I read about anxiety and how um, when we struggle with anxiety that is destructive and that keeps us from being at our best, here are the two dynamics that are happening. We are overestimating the future threat that's on the horizon and we're underestimating our capacity to manage it. And so we're overestimating the danger and we're underestimating our capacity. And so um, this is part of what's going on in this story. The Israelites are overestimating Goliath and they're underestimating what I would suggest their confidence in God and his capacity to deliver them. So as we've heard many times, courage is not the absence of fear, but the willingness to act in the face of it. And so words like grit, determination, passion, devotion, these are words that capture the qualities of people who win over their giants. We can't fully understand this story unless we go back and read one chapter earlier, a verse where God speaks to Samuel about who will be the successor of King Saul. And David had a handful of brothers who were older and who um, looked a little more kingly. And God spoke with the prophet Samuel and he said these words in verse seven of 1 Samuel chapter 16. He says, don't judge by his appearance or height for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And David had a good heart. David had a courageous, gutsy, determined heart. And he was the kind of person who was all in, fully invested, who didn't allow fear and intimidation to rule the day in his life. And I like his response in verse 32 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we'll walk through the seven or eight verses of scripture. This is what he says. He says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. So this 10-foot giant comes out and intimidates the uh, military elite of Israel's army. And uh, everyone is shrinking back in fear and intimidation. And this young shepherd boy comes and says, don't worry. Or we could say, don't be anxious. Don't overestimate the threat and underestimate your God. He says, I will go and fight him. I love that. David used his words, not as an artificial expression or of, or of positive confession, but as an authentic expression of what he strongly desired to do. So whenever giants have presented themselves, the first step in overcoming them is to stir strong desire to act courageously. All right, number two, winning over giants means we will have to learn to reject the defeating voices of others. Uh, David was on the receiving end of three defeating phrases from King Saul. Remember, David, a young shepherd boy, tending the flock, his father's flock, and now he's in the presence of the king of Israel. He says these words to him. He says three defeating phrases, and two of the phrases were rooted in David's self-identity, and the other was framed by impossibility thinking. Listen to this, verse 33 and 34. He says, Saul says to David, King Saul says to David, another intimidating voice. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. That's, that's, that's a word of identification. Don't be ridiculous. He didn't say don't act ridiculous. He said, don't be ridiculous. It's a reduction. Uh, his phraseology reduced David. 
Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way, here's the impossibility framework. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, he says to him. Another self-identity um, phrase that Saul uses to project onto David. And he's been a, a man of war, he says about Goliath. He's been a man of war since his youth. So you're just a boy, he's a warrior. But I like this next part. But David persisted. David persisted. Saul was reckless with his words, but David was persistent in his desire to act courageously. Um, let's pause for just a moment and consider Saul. It appears that his ruminations, which were not full of faith by any means, but they were negative and critical. Those negative ruminations spilled out of his mouth and then they at least made the effort to potentially pollute a young man. Sometimes when we don't self-direct our ruminations and they become, um, we become very much immersed in them, it doesn't take long before they spill out of our mouths. And when we speak those words, we can do damage to other people. David was very different than Saul. He seemed to silence his loud inner critic and he chose not to allow the negative and critical words of Saul to infect him. Some of us need to learn to not let the negative critical words of others infect us and turn down, we need to turn down the volume of the external voices that call us away from a life of faith. And that also we need to turn down the loud inner critic that tells us we're just a young boy potentially, or that we are acting ridiculously, or that we are not nothing in comparison to this intimidating military um, foe. And so um, we, we do need to understand that the voices of others can have an impact on us and we need to learn to reject the defeating voices of others. All right, number three, winning over giants will require that we recall God's strength and his faithfulness. Uh, when we're tempted to feel outmatched and overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, we do well to recall the faithfulness and the character and strength of God. Um, the past can have, have power over us if it leads us to get stuck. Um, the past can also empower us when we recall with vivid detail the way God has been faithful and the way he has demonstrated his strength and power and character in our lives and for us in the past. And so Saul struggled to factor in God in the equation of the um, confrontation that was on the horizon with the Philistines. David, on the other hand, he factored God in. He practiced spiritual recollection uh, where he, again, used his mental faculties to go back into his personal past and recall all the ways that God had demonstrated his strength in David's life. Listen to how David recalled his own past and how God had demonstrated his strength and power and faithfulness. So in verse 34, but David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And I love this. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Saul finally consented, the text says. And then you hear this almost um, statement while Saul is exhaling, so to speak. He says, all right, go ahead. In other words, I'll, I'll let you go. And it's almost like he breathes this um, half-hearted benediction over David as he sends him off 
to a uh, death sentence. He says, may the Lord be with you. You kind of get this feeling King Saul is saying, if you persist, if you must, then away you go, but may the Lord be with you. In other words, you're in God's hands. And David knew he was in God's hands all along. So Saul gave lip service to God's presence and power, but it almost felt like a half-hearted benediction, while David, on the other hand, held on to the fact that God had delivered him in the past, that he was strong and faithful, and that he will be strong and faithful in the present and in the future. All right, number four, winning over giants will require that we resist conformity to other people's expectations. Um, People who leave an indelible mark on history um, are often found to be very comfortable in their own skin. They stand out by doing things sometimes in a very unorthodox manner. They're not afraid of failure and they shrug off the discouraging words and the expectations of other people. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes other people's expectations of us um, can cause us to not live our best life. Um, You could say that David was sandwiched between two giants. One was an opposing, intimidating force from the Philistine army. The other one was standing right before him, and it was Israel's king, King Saul. David, a young shepherd boy in the presence of the first king of Israel, who would have had a sense of um, uh, pomp about him. There would have been a sense of um, royalty around him and uh, a sense of strong authority. And, and David is not afraid of either. Um, in fact, a giant in our life may be larger than life, and they may actually come to us in the form of expectations of others that have been placed on us that you feel obligated to live up to. Um, David could have allowed this to be the um, strong, influential story of his life by living up to the expectations of others and living their life for himself rather than his life for himself. He could have allowed this to be the guiding determination of what he does with his his life. But instead, David chooses to not embrace the expectations of others, but he actually differentiates himself from them. Let's keep reading the passage in verse 38. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on. David was very accommodating in one sense because he didn't want to be rude and insolent to the king. So David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. We'll just pause there for a second. I like this about David, because David wasn't so closed-minded that he wouldn't at least consider he had a blind spot, that Saul might have had a good idea. And so David is open to other people's ideas, and he puts on the um, armor of Saul, but it doesn't fit. It doesn't work for him. And so he says to the king, remember, This is a man who knows who he is, is comfortable in his own skin. And he says to the king, I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them, so David took them off again. David learned to say thank you, but no thank you. And that's a huge piece for us. And when we are rooted and established in our faith in Jesus, his spirit helps us understand that we have been made on purpose, for a purpose, and that Every part of who we are has been deliberately made and deliberately redeemed so that we can make the kind of contribution that God wants us to make in this world. All right, one last thought. Number five, um, if we're going to win over giants, we're going to need to remember that the battle is not ours only, but it's the Lord's. I think it's important that we understand that not every battle should require the same response. Uh, Sometimes we choose to say no to a battle because it's not the kind of battle we want to engage in. 
And, and sometimes it's just not the will of God for us to engage. And so we just, we walk away. I think there's a wonderful um, expression of wisdom and maturity when we sometimes say, I'm not going to entertain that. And so we step aside. But there are other times when we have to step into it because it's what God requires of us. And sometimes life will deliver a whole host of frontline battles, so to speak, that we need to engage. And, and God is um, sometimes testing us with our level of engagement. And uh, so I love this about David. He understood the battle and he stepped up because he had a sense of confidence that this is what God wanted him to do. So David replied to the Philistine in verse 45, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. Talk about a strong boast. He says, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And this is huge. He says, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. What confidence David had. David wasn't fighting his own battle. David wasn't out protecting his own reputation. David was standing firm and engaging this intimidating force in the strength of God for the glory of God. And that changes everything. Um, Psalm 20 verse seven comes to mind as I consider David and as we wrap up this teaching in just a moment. I love David again, writes these words. And again, it is the same David who wins on the battlefield, who steps up courageously. He says, some nations boast of their chariots and their horses. This is the military of the ancient world. But we boast in the name or the character or the person of the Lord, our God. Our boast is not in our military power or in our creativity or in our financial wealth or whatever it might be that we would put on the um, credit side of the ledger. Our boast is in God and who he is. So as we conclude this morning, I wanna read one uh, Psalm to you because David had this beautiful winning moment in his life when God used him and he stepped up courageously and he defeated the giant of the Philistines. But there is another part of David's story, as I alluded to earlier, where David didn't always win and we don't always win either. David had a significant failure in his life and he writes uh, Psalm 51 all about it. Um, but Psalm 32 is a beautiful, rich uh, recount of how David found great comfort in the God who is there for us when we fail. Not if we fail, but when we fail. And so um, facing our failures, wins are wonderful, but sometimes losses are just as real and sometimes incredibly painful. So let me read Psalm 32 for you and then I'll pray for you. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. Remember, David committed adultery and he conspired to kill Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And he's writing this. He says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, David continues, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time. 
that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. And then he gives us a word of caution. He says, don't be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey him, shout for joy. All you whose hearts are pure. I love that Psalm. I, I think it's probably one of my favorite Psalms. And it comes out of a place for David. Yes, winds are wonderful and we celebrate them and we ought to engage the giants in our life and they come in all sorts of different expressions. And there's times in our life when we just we're not at our best and maybe it's a failure and it's deeply painful. We should never run away from a giant because God is with us. And we should never run away when we fail because God is also with us. For purposes of strengthening us when we face giants and for purposes of comforting us when we sin. So we turn to a God who is forever faithful and strong. So I wanna pray for you and then we'll send it back to our host pastors. God, thank you for this Labor Day weekend. and Thank you for your word that always reminds us that we can step up to the challenges of life and not in our own strength alone, but in the strength that you provide. I pray for the one today, God, who's in deep against a giant that seems way too big for them. I pray that you would help them to put their confidence and their unwavering trust in you. I pray that you would make them wise and help them to choose the best course of action and support them and strengthen them, Lord, and, and help them to understand which voices to listen to and how to make friends with how you've made them so that they can be truly comfortable in their own skin. I pray, God, that you would help them again to be the kinds of people who act courageously and always for the glory of God. And I pray, Lord, for the one today who might feel kind of um, beat up or stuck in the failures of yesterday or the failures of today. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand that Psalm 32 is not just for David, but for all of us. And that we are blessed by a God who is quick to forgive, who looks for opportunities to lavish mercy and grace. I pray, God, that you would help us to come to you and to be honest with you and to receive all the mercy and grace that is found in your heart for each and every one of us. So bless each and every one of my friends on this Labor Day weekend, refresh them, and may they know the wonderful goodness and the grace and the glory and the beauty and the kindness of God. We pray this in the name of God, who is forever Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.